this morning, I, I want to uh, talk to you, uh, give you a little bit of history first. A hundred years ago, almost to this year, a hundred years ago from this time, 1924. I know you're thinking that I saw it personally, but I didn't, okay? So, a hundred years ago, America was in this very unique place. It was a, a cultural Tech, uh, a revolution in technology, social, morals, everything was, was changing. They, the historians look back and they call this the Roaring Twenties. A hundred years ago, we were right in the middle of the Roaring Twenties where everything was changing fast. America had just come out of the Great War, the war to end all wars. How did that work out? Not so well. So And so because of that, because we had this... And, uh, this idea that we're going to go in and we're going to fix the world. The world's going to be this utopia place. And then all of a sudden, millions die. It was horrible. And they came out of this thinking, what is the point? They lost confidence in government. They lost confidence in society. And even in morality, in religion. And everything began to change. And all of a sudden, it was like, whatever feels good, do that. You think it started 20 years ago. No, no, no. <laughs> Whatever feels go, and at the same time, technology exploded. Crazy stuff, like you can get into a, this, this contraption and it moves in by itself, you know? You call it cars. <laughs> things like that, 1924, all these things were, were exploding and going on, and, and at the same time, there was this moral decay that had set in, because he said, we don't want to do this anymore, we're going to live like we want, act like we want, and it was uh, supposed to be a grand party for 10 years, 20 years. But what came out of it is something a lot of people don't realize. Because what came out of the Roaring Twenties 100 years ago is what the historians now call the Lost Generation. The Lost Generation was named that way because they lost everything. They lost their moral compass. They lost their, their uh, focus in life. They lost, they lost everything. They had all these things they had all these new technologies and new things and, that were breaking into them, and yet they were empty in their soul. And I didn't make up this name. The, the, the uh, historians did. They call it the lost society. What is really fascinating now, we fast forward 100 years, and here we are, 2024, 100 years later, and I think we are on the cusp of the same thing. You know, they look back now, the historians are looking back at, at uh, the current generation, Gen Z, and the, even a good part of the millennials, and they're calling them, again, not my words, but they're saying, the new lost generation. The new lost generation, because technology has exploded. <laughs> Have you noticed that? It's everywhere, technology is there, but at the same time, there's this, there's this like, what's the point? We have no hope in the government. We have hope, no hope in society. We have no hope in things around us. It's like, let's live like we want. Let's act like we want. Let's behave like we want. And we are facing this same type of, of situation where it feels like that we're having this lost generation. But you see, I believe with all my heart. This is not a time to just look back and say, well, this generation is lost. Uh, those Gen Zs, those millennials. Because, hey, this is our generation. We divide it all up. We call it all up. And I know there's a difference between, you know, people when I, when I was born and, and those that are the very youngest in this room. I understand that there's differences. But you understand, this is our generation. 
This is all we got. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is us. <laughs> you know, if you're breathing, you're part of this generation. When you're not, you're no longer. You don't have to own it. But right now, this is our generation. So what do we do with this generation? What do we do with this time? What do we do? I believe God has a very different roaring 20s for us. I believe God wants to do a very different roaring 20s than, than we ever imagined before. Because, you see, this generation is, uh, is following the wrong roar. If you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> it's following the wrong direction. It's the roaring 20s. They followed the, the uh, hundred years ago, the, the, the decay and the moral, and they were lost. But now we're, having this, we're on the same point in our society. And you look around and you're thinking, wow, this is just nuts. Everything is nuts. And we're in the same position. But I believe... God has a roaring 20s for us that's very different. But we have to follow a different roar. We have to do something different. And if we do, we won't create a lost generation. We'll create a found generation. We once were lost, but now we're found. God wants to take this roaring 20s we are in right now, our generation, and turn it around into something incredible. Turn around something even better. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that's what God has for us. You know, in the New Testament, it talks about, Peter talks about how the devil goes about like a roaring lion. But we have to be sober. <laughs> we have to be alert. Those are the, the terms that Peter uses. Uh, because he, he goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. How does the enemy devour <laughs> us? Well, the cue... Is, is right there in Scripture when it says be sober, it means don't be intoxicated. <laughs> the, the way that we stumble is we get so drunk on this world, so drunk on the, everything that's going around, or, uh, around us and the way of living and the, the things we have to have and the things we have to do. And we get so drunk on that that it's like falling in front of a lion that can devour us. But long before, here's the point, long before there was a picture of uh, the enemy being a roaring lion, and, which is interesting because we live in a society where the belief in God, that there even is a God, has decreased almost every year. But what is uh, increasing even more rapidly is the belief that there's even a devil, that there is an evil spiritual force out there. And that's among church-going people, <laughs> So how can you believe the Bible that says that there is a God and not understand that there, we are in a real spiritual battle? And that's part of understanding how we're going to take a lost generation and let it become a found generation is to understand the spiritual battle that we're in. Understanding the pull and the tug that's there, but knowing that God is always greater. God is always greater. Because in the Old Testament, it pictures many times, and I just want to read a few scriptures here really, really quick. It pictures... Uh, a, a very different roar that you can follow. You can follow this world. You can follow this pattern. You can follow this desires. You can act like that, and it will lead us into another lost generation. Or you can follow the roar of God. You can follow something different, something greater is what I'm trying to say. Let's start with Je uh, Jeremiah 25, 30. It says, the Lord will roar from on high. He will thunder and, and roar mightily. God is roaring. Ezekiel 43 Verse 2 says, I saw the Lord. I saw the God, the glory of, of God. His voice was like the roar of waters. And even into Hosea, and there's many more I could do, 11.10, it says, they will follow the Lord. 
he will roar like a lion. So there's another war that we can follow. There's something else out there that we need to understand. The enemy has its war, but, that, but it's only an invitation. <laughs> it's only a fake. It's only a shadow of really what God's power and what God uh, 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 wants to do. And the question is for us, do we follow the right roar? Are we following? Don't get lost in the metaphor. <laughs> Understand, are we following what God wants or are we following we do our own thing? And you can, they did, a hundred years ago, and it, lost, it brought us to a lost generation. But I, I think God has so much more for us. I think God wants to do so much more for us. So let's look at God's roaring 20s. <laughs> this is where we're at. We're right in the middle of it. It's 19, uh, 2024. There we go. <laughs> we're right here in the middle of it. So is, what can God do? What can God say? What, how can God move in my life? How can I turn this around? How can I become part of the roaring generation that turns this place into a lost generation to a found generation. How can I do that? How can I be a part of that? And I just want to start with, go way back, more than 100 years, <laughs> go all the way back to the very first letter written to the church. So if you want to find out what the early church was like, and by the way, there's a picture, they took a very lost generation. You don't get more lost than what was found in, uh, in uh, Israel and in, in, uh, Jerusalem and with the Roman influence and the Greek influence and everything. You don't find a more lost generation than they were. They were absolutely lost and turned around and saw this incredible uh, uh, revival come and, and, and uh, where they turned it from a lost generation to a found generation. So how did they do that? You ever wonder that? I said, oh, man, I want to be like the early church. <laughs> I wanna, how, did, how do they do that? Well, if you read Acts, it helps us. But the very first letter written, by Paul, to the church that gives us a picture of what that early church was like and what they were willing to do. So look with me to 1 Thessalonians, by the way. So chronologically, if you would look at a New Testament and arrange it to when it was written, the very first thing written was 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, and then in the very first chapter, and in verse 3, it says this, we remember before our God and Father the, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So how can we do this? How can we really move from a lost generation to a found generation? How can we follow God's roar and not the world around us? In, in, it, it, the, the war... The roar, sorry, that Texas accent will come out. You know. uh, I'll move on. I was going to make a cowboy joke, but just not yet. So, so the, the roar is loud in this world. It can, it can fill your ears and fill your heart and fill your soul. It always leads to hopelessness and depression and discouragement. It always does. I mean, we, 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 they, we, the world follows it with such passion and such love, and then in the end, it's just sand through our fingers. It doesn't do anything. But how can we, and here's my first thought, God's roaring 20s, how do we get that, comes from crazy faith. Crazy faith. Not this little faith, not this weak faith, not this faith, but crazy faith. I believe that with all my heart. Uh, this is how we're going to change the world. Uh, see, the world doesn't understand crazy faith. They don't. Doesn't make any doesn't make any sense to them at all. 
But the Bible says, in another way, live by faith and not by sight. So if you walk around and you can see and you close your eyes intentionally, the world calls that, that's crazy. That's, you're going to stumble, you're going to hurt your toe, you're going to fall off stage. I do that with my eyes open, so whatever. So sometimes, you know, you, you, if you close your eyes and you did that, that would, that, would, that would not be helpful. That would not be productive. That would be hurtful. And that's what the world says. They're crazy. But the Bible says there's something in there. There's something more. Listen to me. There's something more. If we learn to live by faith, if we learn to trust what God is doing, trust what, how God is guiding us, and not exactly how we think we should do. 2 Corinthians says this so well. I love this. It says, verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 13. It says, if, if we are, this is Paul writing to the church, if we are out of our mind, literally crazy. That's what that word means. If we are crazy, as some say, <laughs> it is for God. If we are out of our minds, if we are in our right minds, it's for you. In other words, if we're crazy for God, then we are in our right minds to help you understand how to live different. Being crazy for God is the only way. Crazy, living in crazy faith is the only thing that's going to turn our lives around, that's going to turn us from a lost society to a found society. Now, what's fascinating here is Paul doesn't deny that some said he was crazy. Paul said, yeah, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. Do I look crazy? That's what Paul's saying. I'm crazy for God. I'm crazy for, for believing in God that is, that is so much great. I'm crazy to have faith that is beyond this, what this world can see because I live by faith and not by sight. The word out of, uh, out of the mind literally means to put aside. And so what Paul is saying, we put aside how this world thinks. What the world says, that's right and that's wrong. We put that aside. We'll put it aside, and we're going to live a different way. We're going to live something so much greater, not living that way. In other words, it's you got to get out of your own head. <laughs> you ever do that sometimes? You're, you're trying to do something, and you get into your own head so much that everything goes wrong. I do that sometimes. I, I understand what that's like. Well, and spiritually speaking, we do that. We get into how the world thinks and how the world wants us to live and how the world thinks this is the way it is and this is what's good and pursue that and have this and do this and this will all give you there and you pursue it and you find out it's nothing, nothing but emptiness. You see, we're trying to be sane in a crazy world. You ever felt that way? <laughs> you ever feel like I'm the sane one and everyone else driving on this road is crazy? <laughs> I'm the sane one. You ever try to be sane in a crazy world? It won't work. You cannot be sane enough for a crazy world. Don't do it. Don't try to be sane in a crazy world. You have to be crazy to bring for God to bring God's sanity to a crazy world. That's the only way that's going to work. We, we, can't, we can't just tiptoe into this and say, oh, man, maybe a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That is not going to work. We have to be crazy. You cannot fight crazy with trying to be with sanity. In trying to tell someone to be sane, you have to show them something crazier. You have to show them something like, I believe in God. I believe that God can change. I believe God can touch my life and my world and my family and everything. I believe that. Something greater than all of that. You see, God's roaring 20 <laughs> comes from crazy faith. Crazy faith believing. And you say, well, Greg, what is just really crazy faith? Crazy faith is believing God can touch your family. 
Crazy faith is believing that God can take a hopeless business situation and turn it around and use it for his glory. Crazy faith means that God can do some restoring relationships that the world said is hopeless. That's crazy. <laughs> the world just moves on. Crazy faith believes that God can do something so much more. God moved on my heart. I was praying, and he says, I want you to move down to Tampa and start a church. You got a nice job, you know, executive pastor of huge thousands church and my smallest little small group was larger than, larger than where we're at now. And it's like and paid really, really well. Everything was really good. It's like that and family and friends and Lisa had a business there. And God says, move to Tampa. <laughs> and I, I, said, uh, I said, okay, all right. That's crazy. But I didn't realize when I got down there, Lisa and I got in a, uh, flew down here, got with some friends and we started to drive around. Where does God want to plant this church? And we got in the car, we literally started in Lutz and went all the way down to Bradenton, uh, Brandon and Bradenton and Sarasota and St. Pete and Clearwater. Have you ever made that whole trip? By the time we got to Clearwater, I was so depressed, I had no faith. Because <laughs> I thought, what do you do? Where do you go? How do you do this? I don't, I don't, I don't know where this is supposed to be. I don't, you know, and then you know, I was probably getting a little irritated and Lisa knew it. And so we're just praying and thinking and driving. We're in the back seat, so I'm a car sick on top of everything else because that's what I do. So we're, 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 dri we're driving around, and, 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 and all of a sudden, we had gone through Oldsmar. I didn't know Oldsmar from Clearwater. I couldn't. I couldn't. Most people don't still. But uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know. So I drove, we drove through Oldsmar, and then all of a sudden, we went into West Chase area, and I wouldn't know West Chase from anything. I didn't know the name. And all of a sudden, whew, something just jumped in my heart, in my spirit. And I, and I said, Wow. I said, this is it. This is where we we're supposed to be. <laughs> it wasn't because I had uh, great faith. It's because I was, I think, a little bit crazy. <laughs> you could just say, man, God, this is it. And I turned to Lisa, and Lisa said, before I could even say anything to her, she said, this is where we're supposed to be. And we, it, it, God was so good. God was so faithful. We started in a, a church, I mean, a school just down the street, and we started setting up and breaking down and Boy, I'm glad those days are over. But whatever, we're doing all that. God gets faith where we need it. We're set up and breaking down like that. And then we had this incredible opportunity to move in here. How to move in here was an absolute miracle, just a miracle from God. But we're in here, and, uh, and all of a sudden, I'm over there. There wasn't even an office there yet. And I'm looking out that window, and I'm looking out at that corner. And just out of nowhere, I all of a sudden realized that when I crossed that intersection, Right there, right there. When I cross that intersection, that's where God said, plant a church here. And I'm looking at the very intersection. I'm looking right there. Wow, God. You see, what, what seems crazy to us, God is working. God is able to move in the most profound way. That's crazy faith. Crazy believing that God is big enough, strong enough, has a loud enough roar to change everything. You say, Greg, you, how can you believe for a whole generation? Because I'm crazy. I'm crazy for God. I'm crazy that God, I believe God can change your life, which is probably even crazier, right? I believe God can move in your life and in your family because God is able to do these things. Here's a second thought. God's roaring 20s comes from crazy love. This is right out of 1 Thessalonians we just read. How do, we, how do we do this? How do we have this kind of crazy love? I mean crazy love. I said crazy love. Some of you got excited. No, no, no. 
understand what I'm talking about. Crazy love means a love that is so in tune, so hungry. You see, how do you know what crazy love is? Crazy love is an intense hunger. It's a desire for something else. So some of you have crazy love for steak, <laughs> right? You know, so if I'm talking about a steak or, or the longhorn stuffed mushrooms, oh, man, it's crazy. What does that come from? Where does that love come from? It's a hunger. You see, I think the problem is so many often we're not hungry. We don't get hungry. The actions that you do are filled and are driven by uh, what is God's trying to do in our life. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Jesus is saying this. Jesus said, you are blessed. Some people think Jesus didn't have a sense of humor. Here it is right here. You are blessed when you're hungry. You are blessed when you're thirsty and you thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Wow. You just got to hear what he said. Jesus says amazing things. <laughs> All of them. But here is just so amazing. He said, if you're hungry and you're thirsty, then you're going to be filled. But notice what he did not say. And that's what we often get confused. He did not say, if you work hard enough, you'll be filled. He didn't say that. He said, if you're good enough, if you're spiritual enough, if you do enough right things, you will be filled. No, no, no. That's not what he said. But that's how we live. If you come to court church enough, now that might feel, no, just kidding. <laughs> if, you, if, 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 if you do these things, and we just think I just have these motions that I have to go through, these things, and if I do enough of them, and God will be happy with me, and God will be pleased with me, God will be okay with me. But he said, no. The only qualification, the only qualification to be filled with the righteousness that God has is just to be hungry? Are you hungry? Because that's what makes all the difference in the world. Jesus tells the story of a, a tax collector and a Pharisee. And I need to put those two in context, otherwise you, this story doesn't mean anything. A tax collector would be someone like uh, Bernie Madoff, who rips off people, steals their homes right from underneath them, and cares nothing. Doesn't do anything. That's what a tax collector did. I'm going to collect more money. I'm, you lose your home. You lose your family. I don't care. <laughs> and then mix that with uh, Benedict Arnold, <laughs> a traitor. That he not only does that, but he, he betrays the whole country. This is the worst of the worst of the worst. Okay? You don't get any worse than a tax collector. The sinner who does not care, is unrepentant, that is just that is stealing people and robbing people. This is this is tax collector. Then you got the Pharisee. The Pharisee is... <clears throat> You know, I'd say it, but this is like a really good pastor who tries really, really hard, who does all the right things and always looks like he is doing the right things. In fact, he's very proud of what he does. He does all the right things. He only does the right things and tries to do it over and over and over and over. Jesus said, these two, the spiritual leader and the sinner, goes up before and prays before God. And the... The, the, the religious leader said, I'm so glad I do everything right. I am so glad I got it right. I'm so glad I'm not like this sinner over here behind me who shouldn't even be that close to me. You know, I'm just glad I got it all right. And then the sinner is in the back, way in the back. Can't get any further back. Back. His head's down. And he's saying, God, 
forgive me. Forgive me. I don't deserve your mercy. Forgive me. And Jesus says the most amazing thing that shocked everyone that listened. He said, do you know which one left justified? The man that was the sinner but repentant. The man that was hungry. <laughs> the man that, because you see, when, when you're hungry, you will love God more than anything. And you say, Greg, how can I love others when they're so stupid? I mean, um, they do mean things to me. You ever, you ever felt that way? How, how, do I, how do I love others when, when they just do things wrong? Here's the simplest answer. You're not hungry enough. You just got to get hungry. You got to get hungry for God. You got to be hungry for God. And you get hungry enough for God, you can love anybody. You can forgive anybody. You can be compassionate and caring for anybody. If, you're, if you love God, if you're hungry for God. You see, we become satisfied with little. A little religion here. Show up to church, look good, smile. Everyone says, I'm great. Hug a few people, smile a little bit more, and go out and like, just a little. You know, once a month, you know, throw a little bit of money in the offering, you know, the bucket in the back, do a little bit here, a little bit there, just a little, it's not much. And we live in this idea that tradition or religion is enough, is enough to just get by. And that's not hungry. And that'll never turn. That will never turn. A lost generation that's pursuing everything around into a found generation. Until you get to the point and say, God, I'm hungry for you. I'm, I, I, I want this crazy love. Hunger will drive you to do crazy things. My, my sons often tease me about the time I asked Lisa out. I was a spiritual leader on this dorm floor. And there was a guy there that just broke up with Lisa, and he has the ring in his hand. He's in tears. He's crying. And I'm the one that's supposed to comfort her or him. And I saw him, and but as soon as I found out he broke up with her, I said, oh, I feel so bad. Stepped over him because he was in front of my door, shut the door behind him, went to the phone, picked her up, and asked her out on a date. You think less of me. I was hungry. <laughs> Come on. Now, some of you understand that. Some of you understand that. See? That's crazy. That's crazy. That's, that's, as I say, that's not me. I was crazy. I was crazy. I was crazy in love with her. I didn't even know it at the time. <laughs> I mean, when I did tell her, she didn't know it because she freaked out. But that's not the point. That's another story. The point, the point is you're going to have to be, that's crazy love when you're hungry. I want to be crazy. And yet sometimes it's so easy to say, oh, Greg, I, I don't want to be too radical, you know, <laughs> too extreme, too out there so much, you know. People think I'm less than me, so I don't want to be. I don't. I don't want to uh, be too radical. I don't want to get too full, too crazy for God. But do you understand what I'm saying? We won't change anything until we get to the point that we're hungry for God. You know, the Bible teaches us. It says uh, in in the, in the last book in the Bible, it, it, Jesus is talking to a church. It says, "I'd rather you be hot." or really, really cold than lukewarm. Because if you look warm, you know what that makes me do? Throw up. The Bible, sometimes our translations, 
makes it like spew out. <laughs> Spit out. No, no, no. It means vomit. Lukewarm makes God vomit. Now, just hang on to that for a moment. <laughs> you're still hungry? Now you're not. <laughs> how, how is that? See, that doesn't make any sense to us. We get real confused with that. How does that make any sense? Because we're looking at the wrong scale. Because this is what we think. Okay, this is really hot. God wants us hot. I'm oh, crazy love for God. I'm really hot. This is really cold where they don't care nothing about nobody. This is, I'm just going to do my own thing. It's really cold. Now, how is halfway not better? How is like halfway, at least I'm closer to being hot. At least I'm not, I'm not like ice cold where I don't care. It's like, it's like at least I know there's a God. You know, I don't believe in the devil, but I know there's a God. At least I, you know, I show up every day. How is, how is lukewarm not better. It's because we're looking at the wrong scale. Because in God's scale, being hot's great, crazy love, serving God, living for God, that, that's great. And when you're really, really cold, there's something in you that's hungry. Because the world will never satisfy. It will never make you happy. I don't care what you're seeking or what you go after. It will never fulfill you. It never will. It leaves us empty and, 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 and vain. It's just powerless. But when we seek God, when we find God, when we go after God, it's, it's something so much more. So someone who's cold is at least hungry. They at least know they don't know God. <laughs> you know, when I'm talking to someone and they're just far away from God as anything. They know it. just like, you know, they, they may not care, but they know it. They understand. They're, and there's a hunger in there for something more. But you see, when you're lukewarm, you want nothing. You're okay. You just show up. You just do the simple things. And you think, oh, that's, that's all I, I need to do. You're not hungry. <laughs> and nobody, <laughs> you see, nobody roars. Nobody roars for lukewarm. Nobody roars for lukewarm. So today, when the Dallas Cowboys beat the Green Bay Packers, come on. You knew I had to go there you know, at least once. At least we get to see it, and it's not on Peacock. But anyway, that's okay. So, so when, when, when they hand off to, to the running back, and he runs three yards, Texas Stadium will go, oh, that's good. Well, that's really good. Nobody's roaring for mediocre. Nobody's roaring. It's not changing anything. But when Dak goes back and throws a 97-yard pass to CeeDee Lamb for a touchdown, everybody's roaring. Come on, screaming, yelling. I mean, plug your team in there if you have to, you know. <laughs> Just not Green Bay. Because everyone's yelling, everybody's screaming, everybody's happy. You know, when Tampa runs all the way up and down the fields and they score and they do great, hey, everybody's roaring. There's going to be roaring, you know, Monday night <laughs> for all of that. But nobody roars for a three-yard run. And you'll never change anything with your three-yard run. You'll never do anything until you step in and say, God, I, I want to be crazy about you. I want to be crazy about what you're doing. And here's my last thought. I'll end with this. You see, <laughs> crazy roaring comes from crazy hope. Crazy hope? What is crazy hope? Crazy faith? We get. Believe. <laughs> Believe, really believe God's going to do that. Crazy love, love others, love God, got that. But 1 Thessalonians, the verse we read, talked about crazy hope. Hope that endures. Hope that doesn't give up. Hope that doesn't quit. How, I want that kind of hope. 
I want the hope that, that even though things are going bad, and even though it's hard, and even though it's difficult, I don't want to quit. I, I, I want to keep going. How do we have that kind of crazy hope? You see, the answer is found in that verse, 1 Thessalonians we read, because it says, hope in Christ. And it's about what you're hoping in. It's, if, if, you're, if your hope is in me, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to try real hard, but I haven't hit perfection yet. <laughs> Maybe you have. If, if your hope is in your spouse, if your hope is in this world, if your hope is in something else, if, you're, if, I, if I could just do that, if I didn't have that, oh, that's like, yeah. nothing will last. Only in Christ. Only in a personal relationship with Christ. That I pray every single person in here has made or will make and say, God, in my life, in my heart. Hebrews 11, verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. <laughs> He's the focus. If I haven't told you before, it's all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Fixing our eyes, it's not about coming every week. I hope you do. It's not about giving I hope you do. It's not about serving. I hope you do. It's not about even uh, loving your family. and everything. I hope you do. That's about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer, who is the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I don't think we have a clue what that endurance was like on the cross. But he endured the cross, the Son of God, God who created the wood he was literally hanging on. And the blood that was flowing and the pain that was there and the shame that was there and all that. It says, it says that he endured that cross because of the joy that's before him. And I love it. Scorning the shame. Scorning the shame. Despising the shame. Rejecting the shame. Saying it, it, it means to think little of. It, he says... Because he was willing to see the joy and understand the joy, he thought so little of what was going through, he focuses, and that's how he endured. And he is the pioneer. He is the perfecter of our faith. And this is how we endure, by we look for something greater than where we're at and what we're doing and think, you know what? I can endure because I'm going to look to him. I can endure because he is my perfecter. He is my author. I can look to him. And it doesn't matter what I'm do dealing with. It doesn't matter how I'm struggling. God can help me. See, crazy hope, crazy, crazy hope always has a roar of joy. The only way you're going to have hope, the only way you're going to really live hope and to have hope this week, hope for tomorrow. What's going to get you through tomorrow? Hope in Christ. And how does that, how does that work out? That means my joy is fixed on something else. It's fixed on something greater. It's fixed on something so much more. Basically, what it says is Jesus laughed at his... Uh, the, the, the shame and, and, the, and the, the pain he was going through. Ha, 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 ha. I don't care. I'm, I got something bigger I'm looking at. I got something greater I'm looking at. And you see, when you get your eyes off yourself and your little world and what you're trying to do and your righteousness and your goodness and you focus it only in Christ, it only on Christ, everything changes. And that's where we get the joy. Let me leave you one more scripture. You know, end with this. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. I love this. 19, 1 and 2. It says, I heard what... Sounded like the roar, they're roaring in heaven. John heard a roar in heaven like a multitude 
of, uh, in heaven shouting. What was the roar that he heard? Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power to our God. They were in joy. He heard the sound of joy, of celebration, of rejoicing going on. That's what we have to look forward to. And I know sometimes this world can be overwhelming and the pain can be so deep and the difficulty can be there, but we have something we can look forward to. We have something that's so much greater and that is our relationship with Christ and that is what God is going to do in our life. Come on, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power to our God. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Not just sayings that we say, but words for you. You received the word this morning. Come on, give God thanks for what he's doing. Receive that in your heart. Father, God, I pray with all my heart right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would just breathe over us. Move, move in every heart. No words of mine, no persuasion of speech will ever change anything. But your prick by your spirit in every single heart changes lives. And God, I pray right now, right here, that the lost generation becomes a found generation as we have accepted you. And if there's anybody in this room that has not accepted you, has not said, I need Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I can't be righteous enough. I can't be good enough. I can't be smart enough. I can't do enough right things. I need Jesus in my life. God, I pray right now that they would accept your righteousness with this very simple prayer. Father, forgive me. I need you in my life. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And I want to serve you with crazy faith that brings crazy love and is held together by crazy hope. So, Father, forgive me. Lord, this is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, so it's not just the words you say, it's got to be here, that he will forgive us. No matter who we are, no matter what you did, no matter where you come from, no matter what you're thinking right now, I remember the first time I prayed that. I was just a child, just young, because I grew up in a, in a home that did that. But I prayed that many times afterwards <laughs> because I wanted to make sure that I knew what it was all about. God loves you guys. God is a faithful God. He has you in the palm of his hand. He has your family. He has your finances. And he's going to do amazing things as you continue to trust him. Amen?